0: Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer,
1: and I am Adam Summers. You are here in season
0: five of Wrestling at Random, where the theme is more wrestling
1: than ever. As we talk about uh, the randomizer, has been uh, it's been repaired, it's been refilled, it's been expanded. More than nineteen thousand entries of professional wrestling shows. I would imagine probably somewhere. Uh, the likes of 50 to 60,000 hours of professional wrestling are up for grabs in the randomizer. It picks a show for us to watch every week. Uh, and it is a deep cut, dare I say, from WCW, a show, a series that you cannot find on the network or on Peacock. Uh, it is very local. It is WCW Pro Chicago from August 10th, 1991, a show that aired locally here in Chicago on. The Superstation WGN, and man, not only am I excited because I remember Pro, I watched every WCW show back then, this is right in my wheelhouse, Uh, but also, this is a fascinating time in WCW history as we are uh, less than a month removed from Lex Luger winning the vacant WCW World Championship after Ric Flair left in a contract dispute.
0: If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, which, first of all, thank you. If Second of all, if you're not, that's fine. If you don't want to consume your podcast by YouTube, that's fine. But you can support the show by throwing us a follow or subscribe. Go give us a subscription over at uh, YouTube. Uh, just search for Wrestling at Random Podcast. You can find us there. Uh, we have the video version of the podcast up there. And Adam is sporting a WCW shirt for the occasion. Yes, I always it love is, it.
1: It is the WCW logo. I'm trying to position it so you can see. It's the WCW logo from this time period in 1991. I had a shirt exactly like this that I bought at my first show in in uh, May of 1992 uh, which I remember seeing promoted on WCW Pro Chicago, so I had to get this, uh, this vintage remake of that shirt.
0: So WCW Pro Chicago we're August 10th, 1991. You mentioned this is on Chicago's very own Channel 9 WGN, home of the Chicago Cubs and home of this uh, WCW Pro show hosted by Tony Schiavone, And the living legend, Larry Zabisco. They're at Six Flags Great America in the northern Chicago suburb of Gurnee, Illinois.
1: Yes, they're at Six Flags. The show opens uh, with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco, our hosts, our commentary duo. They are previewing summer fun, as Tony Schiavone says. They're outside Six Flags and Daffy Duck joins them. Uh, Larry Zabisco is trying to convince Tony Schiavone to go on a roller coaster. Tony Schiavone, much like me, is saying, hell no, I won't do that. Uh, so, yeah, we get a, some true local flavor. They just didn't call it WCW Pro Chicago and have the Sears Tower in the background. Here, at least in the early stages of this show, they had Tony Schiavone out there going out and about in Chicago. I remember, I think it was the first episode of the show that had Tony Schiavone out with fans and scalpers in front of Wrigley Field before a Cubs game. So they really, uh, uh, I don't know if they were getting a decent amount of money from WGN or what the deal was. They they put some effort into this.
0: Gary Michael Capet is our ring announcer as we go to the arena for our opening match. Beautiful Bobby Eaton versus Skull Van Cross. Skull Van Crush, who is a young
1: big veto of ECW and later WCW and WWE fame. If you recall, he actually had a cup of coffee in ECW under this Skull Von Crush name. It's one of those things, much like uh, seeing Kane in WCW as a jobber in the early nineties, or uh, the fact that Sting wrestled Kip Sop, a young uh, Billy Gunn on a syndicated WCW show. Uh, it's It's always funny to see those things.
0: Yeah, Vito LaGrasso, the Baldies in WCW, uh, uh, in ECW. And in WCW, he was uh, Vito teaming with Johnny the Bull. And he was big Vito in the full-blooded Italians in WWE as well. So.
1: Sky point for Johnny the Bull's Talbone and urethra. You always have to mention that when you talk about him in WCW. <laughs> uh, we should also, before we get too far afield in this show, we should point out where WCW Pro Chicago um, fits in sort of the hierarchy of WCW shows during this time period, you had, I believe, WCW Pro Chicago. There was a New York version of it as well, and then otherwise there was just the unbranded WCW Pro that ran with these same matches, but it didn't have, uh, you know, all the the local wrappings. But I would say, to me, it was probably the lowest ranked show, uh, if you were to at that point. I mean, you had. Uh, you know, on TBS, uh, World Championship Wrestling seemed to be rebranded WCW Saturday Night at 5.05 on Saturdays. You had the main event at 5.05 on Sundays, which is a little below that. You had a worldwide, uh, which aired in syndication, which was probably, as far as big matches and stories, and angles probably equally as important, at least, to the Saturday night show. Uh, and then you had a smattering of other syndicated shows in WCW for Chicago, sort of fell into that and we'll see what the matches on this show uh it doesn't necessarily have the same cachet as some of the other wcw shows where you get some relatively big matches
0: we're told about the great american bash being on tour and they will be at the uic pavilion tonight
1: yes i always popped so big for that as a kid this was I guess it would be nine months before I was allowed to go to my first wrestling show. So I have vivid memories of watching Pro, hearing them promo in detail, uh, not just in rap rounds, but actually in the commentary, what was going to be happening at the UIC Pavilion and begging my parents to let me go, to take me. Uh, but I did not wear them down successfully till my birthday in 1992.
0: I was at the UIC Pavilion in October of 1991 for Halloween Havoc. October so 90,
1: a, unless you're 90. talking. If you were there in 91, you would have gotten to see the Chamber of Horrors. You would have gotten to see
0: Abdul
2: <laughs> the Winter Fried. I think you saw no, a much better show.
0: I was there in 90. I got to see the Steiners and the Nasty Boys for the U.S. Tag Team titles. I got to see... Uh, uh, Sting and Sid Vicious, and uh, but of course Lex Luger and Stan the Lariat Hansen for the U.S. title, but that's for a uh, that's for another show. Here we have beautiful Bobby and Skull Von Crush, and you know you've got uh, Bobby gave him a little bit, but Bobby's just being extra aggressive here. He's got a title match coming up. He hits a neckbreaker, goes to the top rope. The fans are excited as uh, Bobby comes off the top with the Alabama Jam leg drop for the pin. The most brutal but safest finisher ever. Looks like he oh, kills yes. him but never touches him. It's so good.
1: You know, it was a great YouTube video or a GIF or, or a Twitter video or whatever it was of... Bobby hitting the leg drop multiple times, hitting the Alabama gym multiple times, and seeing it in full speed and it looking, to your point, like he killed the guy. And then they show frame-by-frame frame, slow motion, and his leg never even makes any contact with any part of his opponent's body. It's incredible. Bobby was something else. Here he's a uh, newly minted singles babyface, but they do a great job on commentary and in the match of showing you that while the fans are cheering him, he is still – a guy who who has no problem breaking the rules. He's ripping at Skolvine Crush's face. He's choking him over the ropes. Like you said, he hits the uh, the usual Bobby sequence of the neckbreaker. The Alabama Jam gets the win. Uh, what I took away from this match, though, was Tony Schiavone telling us that there will be 10 big matches at the UIC Pavilion coming up later this evening. I want to buy my tickets, damn it. Bobby Eaton and Steve Austin for the TV title. Sounds like a good way to start the show.
0: Yeah, they run down the card at the UIC Pavilion. You're going to see Lex Luger versus Barry Windham for the WCW world title.
1: That's false. We're going to see Lex Luger as the guy doing the voiceover says. So ridiculous.
0: You'll also see the Z-Man taking on the Diamond Stud, who's Scott Hall. They're having a tuxedo match. Okay. Dustin Rhodes is taking on Arn Anderson. There's a Texas death match with Sting versus Nikita Koloff. I'm sure that's awesome. A cage match with Rick Steiner and Ellie Gante taking on the hardliners.
1: Yeah, the hardliners were Dick Murdoch and Dick Slater. Uh, A lot of this show... Why I have such vivid memories of the Great American Bash 1991, which is a horrible show. I still to this day remember that it was July 14th, 1991. It's the things that stick in your head for no apparent reason. Uh, but so much of this show was them running rematches from that, whether that be uh, that cage match, Luger and Barry Windham, which was the, uh, the stand-in after Flair left uh, and uh, was stripped of the title. So, yeah, it's uh, I'd be interested to go back and see what the gate was for that. Uh, what the draw was for that show at UIC Pavilion because that pay-per-view was universally panned and did not do very well and uh, we are in the heart of we want Flair chance when he wasn't going to be coming out
0: no and and if you want to know about Ric Flair showing up in the WWF the history behind that uh, go back to our archives right here in the free feed we reviewed a show WWF at Royal Albert Hall and on that show, Ric Flair shows up. He wrestles wearing the, the big gold belt. The, uh, and so we go into deep detail about the Ric Flair contract dispute, the belt showing up on television, the history behind all of that. It's right now for free in your archives. Go back and take a listen to the WWF at Royal Albert Hall show. Here, oh, By the way,
1: I found what they drew for that show.
0: At the USC Pavilion. The UIC.
1: Hold on. Let, well, I'm looking at 1992, so maybe that's not... No. Okay, so no. they don't... That sucks. They don't have the entry for this show. They have for the show afterwards. Uh, they were coming here almost monthly. They ran a show on August 10th, and then they were here again in Chicago on September 29th, and they drew 1300 for that <sighs> one with... Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco defending the tag team titles against Rick Steiner and the world's strongest man, Bill Kazmaier. Uh, the show is open with an appearance by one of our favorite acts in WCW history, the WTW Special Forces, being represented by Todd <laughs> Champion defeating Michael Hayes.
0: Well, back to this show as we get Diamond Dallas Page presents the Diamond Stud. And We're told that they're looking for a studette of the year, and they bring a uh, woman out of the crowd. She comes in, rips the pants off of the diamond stud. His opponent, Corey Roberts from Chicago.
1: Corey Roberts. This big permed mullet on Corey (laughs) Roberts is something else. I also thought it was noteworthy and and really a great idea For DDP, as he called this woman into the ring to make sure, he asked her several times, "You are in fact 18 <laughs> years old, correct?" And she said she was. Uh, DDP said, "Good." And then they uh, they did the whole deal, um, and he said, "Nope, you're not the stud." On to the next city.
0: The Z-Man cuts an inset promo where he talks about he's gonna how he's gonna strip down the diamond stud because they're having a tuxedo match. So lame. A choke slam by a stud, he goes for the diamond death drop, which you would know as the razor's edge, and he gets the quick pin.
1: It was always interesting seeing, going back and watching and seeing him at the time, seeing Scott Hall as the diamond stud in WCW. Like, you think about Scott Hall and you think about Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash had a ton of characters in WCW, whether it be uh, Master Blasters or Oz or Vinnie Vegas. And what he eventually became as a character, and even as a wrestler, moveset-wise, bore almost no resemblance to that. Whereas here, the Diamond Stud, he's Razor Ramon without the fake uh, Cuban accent. He is Razor Ramon in everything he's doing, the way he moves, even pretty much what he wears. He's he's a fully formed, young Scott Hall. But like, this isn't the Gator Scott Hall with the uh, the Magnum uh, mustache of like '87, '88 AWA. He's pretty much What he's gonna be.
0: They announced the WCW Top 10 list. Love it. And let's go through the top 10 contenders here. We've got number 10, Beautiful Bobby. Number 9, Dustin Rhodes. Number 8 is the Diamond Stud. Number 7, Johnny B-Bad. Number 6, Somehow, El Gigante. Number 5... Stunning Steve Austin, your television champion.
1: And my favorite wrestler in the world in 1991.
0: Number four is Sting. Number three, Nikita Koloff. Number two, Ron Simmons on The Ascent. We'll see a lot
1: of Ron Simmons on this show being presented as a guy striving to be a world champion.
0: And number one... The challenger at the UIC Pavilion. The challenger. He was uh, in the title match at the Great American Bash. It's Barry Windham, and of course Lex Luger is your world champion.
1: As top ten rankings go, outside of you know El Gigante, who was presented as a star but just couldn't go, like it's not a terrible list in terms of like what you were watching at the time period. A lot of times those top ten lists we've had them before on shows we reviewed, and we're just like, what is this? This is fairly (laughs) credible.
0: Luger, the world champion with Harley Race and Mr. Hughes. They cut a promo on Wyndham and Ron Simmons.
1: This is not good. And again, if you're watching it through the lens of Ric Flair having just been the world champion and having been the face of the company for so long and knowing what he was not only as a wrestler, but as a promo guy here, you know, Harley Race is fine. And then Luger tries to cut this world champion promo and it is it is, he's not meeting the bar much less exceeding it.
0: We then get a commercial for the bruise cruise. I wanted to go on the bruise cruise so bad as a kid.
1: Same here, I remember seeing the ads in the magazines and showing it to my parents and trying to, like this is my 10 year old brain of like, well, they won't take me to a wrestling show but maybe we can go on the bruise cruise as a family. There's no actual wrestling happening, but I can meet the wrestlers. And we can see beautiful locations. It, it, it did not work. We were not a bruise cruise income level family for sure.
0: Oh no. It, it, at least you thought about asking. I, <laughs> I, I just said that they said the words vacation and I'm like, well, my family doesn't go on vacations We <laughs> we, we don't, we don't vacation. So the bruise cruise is out for me. Can no can do. The York Foundation come out. This is Richard Morton, the computerized man of the 90s, Terrence Taylor, and Thomas Rich, the former wildfire Tommy Rich. I
1: am so excited when I hear that iconic, to me, uh, York Foundation music hit. This podcast has nothing but time for the York Foundation for the Computerized Man of the 1990s. It's I thought you were stumbling. about to say we
0: were becoming a uh, Terry Runnels podcast.
1: We well yeah, we kind of have been. <laughs> I would like to you always talk about wanting to do, you know, the oral history of the Kane Undertaker feud. I would love to do a podcast that's a deep dive into everything the York Foundation. I love this. It is they are the perfect mid-card stable.
0: And I love the, the, the idea of the gimmick of um, yes. uh, York Foundation Alexandra York has this computer. She's a, a computer expert, has has programmed uh, a, a, an advanced analytics program ahead of its time. It's amazing. Now it's the standard for all professional sports. But Super at the Billie
1: time... Bean, she's Moneyball.
0: Yeah. At the time, she's like, I know who I can... Take and and their opponents. I can give them all of the weaknesses, and they they can they they will become champions. I loved the idea. The concept was strong, it ahead of its time.
1: Very strong, very ahead of its time, and also from a technology standpoint, hilarious to look back at because she's talking about you know this program she's created. She's basically talking about this algorithm that she's running to do everything that you said, and then she's standing ringside with the world's most basic word processor.
0: Ba- yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> the, the opponents of the York Foundation, the team of Robert Gibson, the other half of the Rock and Roll Express, of course, Richard Morton, the former Ricky Morton, is now uh, part of the York Foundation. Robert Gibson alone here, teaming up with the Z-Man and Dustin Rhodes.
1: We're told that this is a one of our two TV main events. It is a six-man tag with a 10-minute time limit. So I guess we could say the non-existent Six-man TV titles are on the line <laughs> here with this 10-minute time limit. Uh, the story of the match early is very simple. It's Robert Gibson wants revenge on his decades-long former best friend who turned on him, Richard Morton. Richard Morton is being a coward and trying to get out of the ring. Uh, as this is happening, we are again being told by Tony Schiavone that you can go to the UIC Pavilion tonight and see Robert Gibson finally get his hands on Richard Morton in a singles match uh, if you've never seen this version of Morton, it, it's pretty wild because you think of him as the ultimate baby face. Like he's in there, up there with you know, Ricky Steamboat, you know, like the best sellers, the best comeback guys, all that sort of stuff. He is an awesome, smarmy, cowardly heel here. The facial expressions, you're so used to him being the guy looking out to the fans, reaching out for their support. The, the, here, the snarl and sneer on his face, it's glorious.
0: And never has a man needed Ricky Morton more than Robert Gibson. Holy.
1: Particularly in 1991, like people talk about Sean and Marty. This is so much more uh, because obviously Marty had his issues. But Marty was much closer at his peak to Shawn Michaels in terms of in-ring level than Robert Gibson ever was. And particularly in 1991, he's uh, he's looking old. He's out of shape. He has not. Uh, adjusted his hairstyle for his airline. Uh, it's pretty rough.
0: Ricky versus Robert starts the match, but like you mentioned, no. Ricky tags out immediately. Robert's doing the rooster taunt to Terry Taylor. Morton comes in, and he only comes in when Robert's down. Robert goes to fight back. Richard Morton immediately scrambles out to, to make the tag.
1: I, there's one spot here early that I love. Like the The action we've seen earlier on in this show Uh, The Beal is the move. Everybody's doing a hit toss out of the corner. And I love, I feel like Robert Gibson was watching the match because he had it scouted. He countered a Beal. uh, Didn't do much of anything uh, exciting after that, but he at least had that scout.
0: Basic back and forth here. Dustin gets in with Richard Morton and finally gets some shots in on Morton. He quickly tags out again. Taylor, he's taking some comically large bumps for Dustin elbow strikes. This was not good.
1: I thought it was great. I loved Terry Taylor taking these ridiculous bumps. Dustin looked awesome here. He is like, you forget or you took for granted back then. You and he took for granted modern eyes how great Dustin Rhodes was, even here in 1991. This is a guy who was like 6'5, 6'6, not a small guy. And his ring speed, it, it would blow away most guys in modern times. His 1991 ring speed. Would blow away cruiserweight level wrestlers. Now he was awesome.
0: Quick tags from the good guys. Dustin misses a crossbody, spills out to the floor. He gets rammed into the barricade and dumped back inside. That
1: crossbody miss spot that he still does in 2023 and it still looks great. Where he goes for this crazy high speed running crossbody, the opponent ducks and he goes like a it's like a barrel rolling down a hill out to the floor.
0: They triple team Dustin. He gets a desperation backslide for a near fall, but he's cut off again. They keep the heat on Dustin. He gets a sunset flip on Morton, but Taylor had the ref distracted, so we get a visual pin, but Morton kicks out when the count starts at 1. One minute left in the time limit. Dustin hits a lariat, and he makes the hot tag to Gibson who's tagged in with Richard Morton and the place goes crazy for all six men in the ring they're all doing ten punches in the corner as the time limit expires the babyfaces celebrate as the York Foundation retreats
1: I loved this match for it was fun, tons of fun ten minute TV match which with a bunch of mid-card guys they went out there, had a really simple concept for the match the crowd was super into it. As we said, the story of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson in the match. I, for a time limit draw, I love this finish. The trope is always at the time limit draw that, you know, it's, it's coming down to the end. There's a bunch of pinfalls. And then right as one guy, the baby face most of the time is about to win. The time expires here. The time expires as the baby faces are just beating the hell out of the heels. Each of the 10 punches in the corner, uh, really unique, different way of doing it. I also thought the commentary in this match, um, I, I was amused by when that, that one minute hit. You could hear the frustration in Tony Schiavone's voice that they did not give time calls at five minutes or four minutes or three minutes. Uh, I felt like he was all of us at that moment in modern wrestling. Uh, also, there were a few nostalgia bombs on commentary in this match with Tony Schiavone mentioning that we could go Right now, right when the show ends, go to your local Carson's, Carson Peary Scott uh, Ticketmaster location to buy your tickets. I had forgotten about the agony of going to Carson Peary Scott on Ticketmaster
0: all day. Oh, it was the worst. You had to go, and it, it, like I would go to the Orland Mall. Carson Perry Scott where you would go to like the basement level mm-hmm. where they had the ticket master printout machines and you yeah. have to line up and the line would be a, a billion miles long people camping out for tickets and stuff and like there'd
1: be multiple pe- there'd be multiple lines and you always were so worried that you'd be in the line with people that were looking to when to look at the laminated book that had the <laughs> that had the the laminated sheets of the the ticket map like just say I want two tickets at this best price. available.
0: Just best available best and get available. out of
1: here because if you were in the best, if you were in the line where people are saying just best available, you'd get through and probably get your tickets. If you weren't, you might get shut out. God, that was so stressful!
0: Yeah, I, I was awful. And it wasn't just wrestling tickets, concert tickets too. I mean, I remember waiting in line for Lollapalooza tickets, but Ozfest tickets were also on the same time. So, like, we're it's just like the line is in- insanely long as we're fighting I for tickets
1: as a kid. Bruce Springsteen my all-time favorite musician I would never seen him live before was waiting in line we got there at like four in the morning me my dad and my brother Um, this was in 1995 waiting in line waiting in line and waiting line they finally they put tickets on sale the line moves the line moves we get up to the ticket window where the, the the person in front of us got tickets we get up to the window as we get up to the window shuts down dramatically. They shut it down and they say, closed, we're sold out. That's (laughs) so much more frustrating than being stuck in the the virtual waiting room on Ticketmaster.com now. You kids don't realize how lucky you have it.
0: The Jack Brickhouse. Brickhouse bonus segment. Jack Brickhouse comes on my television on a WCW program to tell me about Rap Master PN News. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the most absurd combination of humans that has ever appeared on a professional wrestling show. Jack Brickhouse, the legendary Chicago Cubs announcer, he did wrestling, he did everything. He's one of those jack-of-all-trades. He truly, legitimately loved professional wrestling. Here, uh, this is in the in the latter days of his career, uh, to say the least, and he would do these short little segments Sometimes talking about the old times, sometimes talking about a modern wrestler that, man, I did not expect to see effusive praise of the rap master by Jack Brickhouse.
2: One of the most exciting athletes in a long time in WCW is the rap master, PNU. He weighs 403 pounds, very colorful ring attire. From the moment he steps into the ring, he captivates the audience. It's the first time I can remember that a wrestler was cheered and loved even before anyone ever saw him wrestle. But it happened to PNU's the first time he was ever on TV. He walked into the ring, grabbed the microphone and rapped and fans loved it. You know, they hadn't even seen him wrestle. But regardless of his ability as a rapper, the most impressing thing is his ability to move that 403 pound frame around the big, big ring, the drop kicks, the elbow smashes and the top rope splashes for a man that size proved that PNU's will be around for a long time, not just as a rapper, but as a tremendous athlete. I'm Jack Brickhouse. This has been a Brickhouse bonus.
0: Yeah, Jack Brickhouse, of course, Hall of Fame baseball announcer. But uh, from 1949 to 1955, the Dumont Network, which was the fourth network beyond ABC, NBC, CBS, the Dumont Network uh, was... uh, the My Network's most popular wrestling show during that time frame originated from Chicago's Marigold Arena with Jack Brickhouse doing the announcing on Saturday nights at 9 30 PM.
1: Yeah. The predecessor to Bob Luce's championship wrestling, which emanated from the, uh, uh, I know I'm drawing a blank on where that was. It was not the same building. Oh, the, Chicago the, uh, amphitheater, the international amphitheater in Chicago. The
0: international amphitheater. Yep. Um, uh, so this show, the, the WCW Chicago show uh, It featured this segment every week with Brickhouse Reminiscing about 50s wrestling And Brickhouse was always uh, fun, fun note in uh, Dave Meltzer Wrestling Observer Newsletter He mentions that Brickhouse was always defensive Of his association with pro wrestling And was famous for the line quote, We used to say there are two kinds of people those who watched wrestling on television, and those who watched and didn't admit it.
1: 100%, and that is true to this very day. You will always be shocked by people that you work with that (laughs) will let the mask slip after a decade, and you find out that they, in fact, watch wrestling every week, or they watched as kids all the time. So many more people watch it than admit it.
0: Back to Six Flags Great America where Larry and Tony Schiavone are having shenanigans. Larry apparently stole a giant stuffed animal pretending he won it and they immediately came and confiscated it from him. Yes,
1: them. he says he only needed one shot. They say you have to get the, hit the target three times. I also enjoyed Tony Schiavone basically being Google Maps here in 1991 telling us exactly how to get the gurney from multiple places, different locations in the Chicago area.
0: Back to the ring where we get PN News. Jack Brickhouse just told me about this PN News character, so I'm very excited. PN News comes out to take on L.A. Gore.
1: L.A. Gore is like if you took all the charisma away from Michael Hayes' DDP and combined the two and made them a jobber, that's what you would have. He also looks nothing like a guy named L.A. Gore. should Look, it's a great name.
0: PN News comes out. He's rapping. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo.
1: Oh, yeah. And then the crowd would yell back, yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. Oh, yeah. PN News was, he was a thing back then.
0: We get Kevin Sullivan and the one-man gang doing an inset promo.
1: Where Kevin Sullivan talks about meeting a lady with bifocals. That's all I got from this.
0: Well, what I got was one-man gang and PN News are going to have a fat guy match, and it sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's. – I'm shocked. That won't be <laughs> uh, coming up later this evening at the UIC Pavilion. No. Uh, PN News is wrestling Johnny B. Bad in a battle of very 1991 WCW gimmicks, one of which went on for many more years, one of which stayed in 1991 or it would never go. Uh, no, The most noteworthy thing in this match, PN News – does not throw as good of jabs as Dustin Rhodes. Now, that was very <laughs> clear here back-to-back. He did throw a, uh, a shockingly good belly-to-belly suplex.
0: After the belly-to-belly suplex, News to the top, and he's on the top rope. His music starts playing. Then he hits a falling splash off the top for the pin. Pia News raps after the match as well.
1: As Larry Zbysko talks over his post-match rap in disgust, and yes, that was a regular thing where PN News, he'd go to the top for the big splash. His music would hit a little bit of New Jack here, I guess, in 1991 with the music playing. WCW was trying so many weird things. This isn't too far removed from the era of the Ding Dongs. Uh, they were WCW, the descendants of Jim Crockett Promotions, but nothing was working. So they were trying to come up with uh, twists on WWE style gimmicks and none of them worked.
0: Eric Bischoff brings us the from the pages of WCW Magazine event center style here where we see clips of Johnny B. Badd and Stunning Steve Austin having issues during a tag team match. Johnny B. Badd wants a shot at Austin's TV title. We also find out that there's a tag team title tournament happening. And we also find out that there's a tournament coming up for the U.S. title at the Omni in Atlanta. So WCW is modern-day AEW.
1: The thing that I took away from this WCW Magazine segment is that Eric Bischoff was born to host something like this. He was so great running through all the different things, the different clips from different shows. Um, he was a terrible play-by-play guy back then when they tried to use him in that role, but he is top tier, top tier uh, at hosting a segment like this.
0: There's also the question of, is the yellow dog Brian Pillman? Oh, God.
1: That's what the world needed in 1991, another yellow dog story.
0: Yeah, so this is the common story, the um, uh, the Midnight Rider. Uh, what was Junkyard Dogs? Uh, uh, one where he uh but oh, uh, yeah. uh Saggerly. Lee St- yeah so there we we had all of these uh, th- this is a common thing where a guy has to leave he comes back under a mask everyone knows it's him under the mask but the heels cannot prove it and so he eventually gets reinstated here this is Flying Brian cutting a promo says he thanks the fans for all the cards and letters asking for him to be reinstated he's he's weeks away from being reinstated so uh the the question is, if he's unmasked as the yellow dog, then he won't be reinstated. So the question is, who is this yellow dog?
1: This is very convoluted. It was by far the least successful of any of those sorts of gimmicks or stories that you described. Um, yeah, I guess there's some logic to it. But the whole deal of like, is the yellow dog Brian Pillman? Will Brian Pillman be allowed back? And then like he's just on TV saying he's going to be back in a few weeks. He's gotten word he's going to be reinstated. I don't know. It kind of undercut it to me, but it is what it is. We'll see a lot more with that later on in the second half coming up next of our huge double main event here (laughs) on WCW Pro. I am offended, particularly (laughs) as we get going, get through this match, that this went on as the main event after that awesome six-man tag that we had earlier. It is the Yellow Dog, ostensibly, and that word is doing a lot of work here, Brian Pillman under a mask. Uh, wearing long yellow tights as he is taking talked about characters in wcw at this point wcw's answer to the undertaker black blood who i actually thought was a cool character but black blood it is billy jack haynes in a hood he's wearing long black tights with with red blood design on he comes out with an axe uh it's a prototype version of the uh of the dungeon of doom as Kevin Sullivan is with them. One man gang is with them. He's wearing a, a leather mask with his mouth zipped shut. Uh, it, it, uh, it didn't work. It didn't last long. Like any of these gimmicks did, but it seemed like it maybe had some legs at the start.
0: At least I howled with laughter as Gary, Michael Capetta, the ring announcer says from a little town in France, black blood, (laughs)
1: <laughs> what a strange, and I'm sure there's probably some like obscure literary reference to this. But if you're trying, like, can you imagine if The Undertaker was slowly walking there? It's like a well, little town in the Netherlands. The Undertaker. It kind of takes away a bit of the aura here. Uh, this is quite the collection of oddities. Uh, in- I love that
0: they couldn't even like name. There's plenty of little towns in France. You could have named one. Like you just didn't have to tell me it's a little town in France. Name a town. Like, Give it a name.
1: <laughs> yeah, I could have pulled out my encyclopedia Britannic I had in the room and figured <laughs> out exactly how, how big or small the town was. It's WCW, so you just uh, sadly, and I say that as the biggest <laughs> WCW fan of all time, just have to accept those things. Uh, meanwhile, his opponent, again, the yellow dog who comes out to Brian Pillman's music, um, he's announced as being from the Kennel Club. So an even more ridiculous hometown than a little town in France. And the first thing I noticed right away is this yellow dog gets into the ring. And Larry Zabisco's right there with us. Larry Zabisco's offended. There is no way this man is Brian Pillman. No. And I'm not going to give away who it is. But I was very proud of myself because within the first 30 seconds of this match. You identify him? Based on body type alone, I knew without a shadow of a doubt who this man was.
0: I, I did not know by body type but once the hair started to peek out the bottom and uh, paired hair. with the facial hair I'm like I know exactly who this is <laughs> this was a nothing match oh. uh, the yellow dog did get a shocking amount of offense but he misses a top rope drop kick black blood then drops the yellow dog throat first across the top rope he then does a leg drop and gets the pin the yellow dog is then unmasked, and he's revealed as Rip Rogers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rip Rogers. And again, it, it, it was shocking again because Black Blood, the idea at least at this point was that Black Blood was going to be a pushed act. Rip Rogers was like the ultimate jobber plus and was really presented as being just a pathetic wrestler, like a pathetic <laughs> character on the show. So, like, looking in retrospect, him getting unmasked, him getting that much offense on Black Blood was kind of ridiculous. He did not look good in this match. Rip Rogers. Terrible leapfrog. Terrible hip toss. Uh, Black Blood's finisher being a standing leg drop was ridiculous at this time. I remember he he did some other weird move in this match, too, where it was, like, from a powerbomb position, but then he just kind of tossed him over. It looked really weak. He also used to do a a top rope like the opponent would be on the mat horizontal on the mat and he would come off the top rope and do i guess what what 80s wrestlers or 80s announcers would call a judo chop off the top to the throat that was his finish Uh, again this guy maybe only lasted a couple months it's a footnote in the history of billy jack haynes
0: yeah billy jack haynes i mean he you want to talk about a body type this guy looks completely different than he did in the late 80s wwf run uh with his oregon trunks and uh uh, yeah you can uh read more about black black blood over on uh wrestle crap he's one of those uh entries over there i would
1: imagine there's quite a few guys that appeared on this show pia news has got to have a (laughs) page or two over there i'm sure
0: we go back to six flags where tony and larry are in front of the american eagle roller coaster that's one of the few roller coasters at Six Flags that I've actually ridden. I've actually ridden the American Eagle. It's, the, it's a, the, an old-time wooden roller coaster where it's all one big drop at the, at the front and then, uh, and then it's speed, but uh, it doesn't go upside down or anything. It's an old wooden coaster. I have been on the American Eagle. Traumatic
1: childhood experience. I vomited after going on this. I went on that, and the Demon... It scarred oh, me the for, demon
0: was my very first ever roller coaster.
1: Scarred me for life. I did love they. They before we they go back to uh, uh, to Six Flags before the commercial. Tony Schiavone, you know, they run down the card again, and then Tony says, just deadpan, after the commercial, we'll be back at Six Flags where I will not get on a roller coaster. <laughs> so he is steadfast throughout this hour about that. Uh, they come back. They're standing in front of the eagle as well as Splashwater Falls. They announced the card for next week, and man, I'm much more interested in next week's card as the main event is Arn Anderson versus Ron Simmons. We get promos from both. Arn's is great. It's so to the point. It's like 15 seconds long, and he just says, people don't think I have a chance against you, but I'm going to cheat.
0: Yeah, I'm winning because I'm going to cheat. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> Arn Anderson. Larry says that uh, he's... Still going to try to get Tony onto the roller coaster. And Tony says, uh, there's no way you're going to put me on that roller coaster. And then we cut to a clip of Tony Schiavone on the American Eagle with Larry Zabisco, but he's passed out. So it looks like Larry choked him out to drag him on there.
1: Yes. It, it, there is some serious weekend at Bernie's vibe Tony <laughs> Schiavone here. He looks approximately dead. Uh and yeah, this is a uh it's a fun way to close out this uh this C and, show of WCW television.
0: And it the footage of them on the roller coaster, they're going backward on the American Eagle, which uh yeah, is something they the did that. the American Eagle would do occasionally. It would be a big deal. you you know, like the, the American Eagle, not the the sexiest roller coaster at Great America, so to spice it up, they'd be like we're running it backward, and so it would go. Uh, it, so, so this was uh, during one of those running it backward times. So, this which was, would uh, mean
1: when you're going down the big drop, where normally you just you'd see it coming and you look down, and you know, for a wimp like me as a kid, it was terrifying. But roller coaster enthusiasts weren't that scared of it. Here, you were going backwards, back first down this huge drop. I would imagine that actually was even more terrifying.
0: Yeah, so this was a fun show. It totally 100% would have got me out to the UIC Pavilion as a
1: wrestling fan. No, 100% too. And yeah, some of the matches uh, don't look that great on paper and I'm sure weren't that great in the ring that evening at the UIC Pavilion. But the fact that like, as a Chicago wrestling fan, it was so cool. Like WCW, it's you know, the number two promotion in the country. It was my favorite wrestling company in 1991. But you had this local show that had localized things like Wrigley Field and and, uh, and Six Flags. And then you had matches on the show, but everything on the show was centered around the show coming up in your town that night. It was this weird little 1991 version of what territory shows felt like, you know, all through the, all through the decades, even into the mid to late 80s. It was a really, I don't know, I enjoyed it. Again, it was the least consequential of any WCW show that aired, at that time, but it was a fun watch.
0: Yeah, it was uh, definitely unique, and uh, uh, you know, as a, sh- you know, watching it through the eyes of a a someone who was a Chicago <laughs> child watching the show, it's uh, yeah, it was super fun. Um, what is your favorite thing on the show?
1: Without a doubt, it's the six man tag. I thoroughly enjoyed all yeah, ten minutes the- of that. It was just a mid card six man tag, ten minute time limit. Throwaway thing for a, a feud that was nowhere near as big of a deal as it would have been if it happened a decade earlier, but everybody was so great and the crowd was red hot, and it made me want to go to the to the USC Pavilion and see uh, Robert Gibson finally get his hands on uh, Richard Morton. Always love a spotlight on the York Foundation. Bring me a York Foundation curated list, patrons. <laughs>
0: And I'm going to agree. That's probably my favorite thing on this show as well. Uh, I'll give honorable mention to Jack Brickhouse telling me about PN News <laughs> and his rap. Uh, so worst thing on the show for you.
1: Oh, man. I mean, it has to be that black blood yellow dog. And yellow dog
0: know. is horrible. Yes. Yellow, this dog, whole yellow dog is terrible.
1: The, the, the story had been played out and had been done better everywhere else before we didn't get actual brian pillman instead we had rip rogers as pretend pretend brian pillman against black blood who was not an interesting wrestler at all unfortunately this match was not good um and it was also like they unmasked yellow dog and then they're telling us on the show go see the yellow dog wrestle i can't remember who it was that he was wrestling tonight at the uic pavilion i'm like i don't need to see it i already know it's rip rogers (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that is absolutely the correct answer as well. So, yeah, this is it for this episode of WCW Pro Chicago. If you want additional content, additional episodes of this show, of us reviewing pro wrestling from all over the place, go to our bonus feed. We have an entire 140-plus episodes of bonus content that you haven't heard waiting for you right now. Five bucks unlocks the entire back catalog, all hundred and forty episodes. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash wrestling at random. There we have the entire list of 140 plus shows. So we go five bucks unlocks the whole thing for you. Over there, you'll find curated lists, you'll find matches, you'll find pay-per-views, you'll find all kinds of wacky stuff that doesn't fit into the uh, into the free feed all over there. If uh, if you want to find out what's coming up on this show, on uh, uh, the free feed, over on the bonus feed, anywhere, just make sure you're following us on all of our social media, at WrestleAtRandom, that's for X, Twitter, threads instagram all those locations follow us at wrestle at random facebook.com slash wrestling at random as well and we mentioned a few free episodes that are in the back catalog if you haven't gone back and listened to uh some of our previous episodes it's all new to you it's evergreen content so go ahead and start churning through some of those old episodes they're all free in the free feed right now the entire back catalog of this podcast all the links i described Everything is available at the website, wrestlingatrandom.com. And with that, we're going to call it a podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Randomizer. As I said earlier, I used the phrase nostalgia bomb. This show certainly was not an unheralded time in WCW history, but it is uh, firmly imprinted on my 10-year-old brain. And so I always enjoy uh, getting a chance to, to see WCW Pro Chicago Hope we get another one. I want to know, are we going to get a Brick House bonus on Black Blood? Uh, I want to hear what he has to say about that little town in France.
0: Thanks again, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time.